Now entering Nerdist.com. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, episode 27, The Alternative Factor. It's that time again where we open up the corridor between this universe and another. On Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, I'm John Headwound Champion. I'm Ken Headwound Ray. And I'm John Non-Headwound Champion. And I'm Ken Non-Headwound Ray. Oh God, I'm so confused already. I'm going to be up front here. Um, you, dear audience, you may wish for a universal escape hatch after this week's episode. <laughs> Dude, really? What? What? Yeah, I, I just, I just gave it up. I, spoiler alert! Yeah. I just gave it up. Well, um, because they're so cool. Maybe that's why. Maybe you didn't spoil anything. Maybe because having a universal escape hatch would be awesome. Right. Having a place that you go hang out between universes. You know, you get a little rundown, but you don't want to be completely negative. <laughs> so instead, you just go hang out in the hallway for a while. Oh yeah, or eternity? Maybe forever. Yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, you know, a while. Well, eternity is a while, and then some, yeah. I guess. Well, friends, if you don't know what uh, you've tuned into, it is Mission Log Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, where Ken and I get to delve into the morals, meanings, and messages of Star Trek. And this week, we are talking about the alternative factor in which um, universes collide. The good no. universe, the bad universe. No, they don't collide. If they had collided, did you not even watch the episode? I, I yeah, I tried to tune it out. It's, it's where uh, it's where universes <laughs> sort of bump. Um, well, I don't want to say that. Well, du- dudes collide. Dudes from two different universes collide. Um, yes, but thankfully neither one is in the universe at the time. <laughs> and I'm already confused again. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> your confusion, my friend, is trivial. As is your Star Trek trivia. Please hit it for me. Here we go. All right. The trivia to do with the alternative factor really comes down to one big, fat piece of trivia. It's so big, in fact, that I don't even think we can call it trivial. Um, The character of Lazarus was originally cast with John Drew Barrymore. And uh, John Drew Barrymore, not to be confused with John Barrymore the Elder, we are talking about John's son, who is the father of actress Drew Barrymore. All right. So he was cast in this role to play Lazarus. And um, it, everything was done. He, he'd been fit for the costume. He got his script. Contracts were signed. Everything was good to go. And the day shooting was to begin, he didn't show up. So a flurry of phone calls were made. Uh, agent, manager, his home, all the, and he was MIA, totally gone. So at the last minute, the role had to be recast. But here's what I love about this. Um, pretty much everybody from the production team at Star Trek decided, um, we're not going to let this fly. We're going to go back to the union, and we're going to lodge a formal complaint, and we're going to take this to arbitration. And what happened was the, uh, the union bosses, and actually on that panel uh, were Charlton Heston, uh, Carl Malden, who was uh, the president of the Actors Union at the time, um, they agreed with the production staff at Star Trek. And John Drew Barrymore's uh, 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 union card was suspended for six months. Guy couldn't work. 
for six months after that. And I think what's interesting about that is that on some level, this is this little science fiction show saying we're not going to be the little science fiction show that gets jerked around by a big famous actor. And believe it that after that point, there is no point in Star Trek's history where a guest star did not show up. So I think that's kind of a neat story about this episode. The other thing that's neat about it is that you have to wonder. I mean, we've kind of given up already what we thought about the episode. Oh, you've you given up to, what you thought about it. <laughs> well, but you have to wonder if the show would have been improved, certainly different, had an actor of his caliber, of John Barrymore's character, played this role instead. A little bit more trivia to look into here. Hey, we're back at Vasquez Rocks. I uh, hope you enjoy Vasquez Rocks because you see a lot of it in Star Trek. Always uh, a good time when you're at Vasquez I, Rocks. Well, I know. We like- well, you think not, apparently. Oh, well, well. See, I would just be wandering around looking at the rocks. Yeah. You know. um, but hey, uh, Ken, have you ever heard of the Triffid Nebula? I have not. Well, it's funny because you have just seen a whole hell of a lot of it in this episode. Um, Every time we flash from uh, the universe winking out, as Spock describes it, uh, and we see that little bit of of starscape uh, superimposed on the regular image, uh, that is, in fact, the Triffid Nebula. Uh, It was re-photographed later by Hubble. It's a beautiful nebula. So if you like nebulas, you get a whole lot of that particular one in this episode. I did not know that. Well, now you do. Not to be confused with Day of the Triffids, by the way, which I mentioned in the uh, episode The Side of Paradise. Uh, Nor should it be confused with the uh, Horsehead Nebula. No, not at all. (laughs) There are plenty of things to not confuse the Triffid Nebula with. Right. But if you you have a a favorite nebula already, I'm just saying, look into the Triffid Nebula, okay? (laughs) If you have a favorite nebula, by the way, don't write to us about it. (laughs) We we don't want to fight. We don't want to fight about, you know, which is the best nebula. Are we in one? We're not, are we? No, we're not. That's too bad. If we were, I would say, you know, we really just have to stick with our own. But but we're we're in a stupid galaxy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Um, And one last little bit of trivia here. Um, We're going to talk more about the character of Lieutenant Masters, Lieutenant Charlene Masters. And um, she's a a guest character in this episode. uh, But the script actually called for a lot more from her. And uh, that got cut out from the first draft. And there are a lot of, there are a lot of speculative reasons about why that got cut out. Um, the, the character was not written with any particular race in mind. Um, the casting, they cast a black woman in that role. And there's some, some people speculate that, well, having another black actress on the show who has a bigger part and then has a relationship with the guest star who is played by a white man that wouldn't fly in some of the uh, the southern states. There's not really good evidence to support that that's why it got cut out. Um, this could just be an example of the script getting cut because the script got cut. Uh, but we can revisit more of uh, Lieutenant Masters when we get into the rest of the episode. Positive, negative, matter, antimatter. What are the matters in the alternative factor?
prologue. The Enterprise is orbiting a lifeless, nondescript planet. Nothing to it. We'll take a few pictures, then off to Starbase 200. Suddenly the ship is rocked, then the ship is rocked again. Spock says both times the Enterprise was rocking, everything was on the verge of winking out. His words, not mine. Everything was close to non-existence. Also, there's a human-seeming life sign on the planet now. Kirk and Spock and a crew of red shirts go to investigate as we go to the opening credits. Act 1. Kirk says the whole region of space felt the violent winking. Planet side, they find a one-man ship, as well as a blue-clad, goateed guy high atop the rocks. He calls out to them. He's glad to see them. He's saying there's still time. They can stop... someone. Then he falls unconscious. We'll see him later in sickbay. Back aboard the Enterprise, Lieutenant Masters tells Kirk that whatever caused the winking also drained the dilithium crystals. It'll take a while for them to reamplify. Then Uhura gets a notification for Kirk. Stand by for an important message from Starfleet. Code 1, which indicates an invasion of some sort. Commodore, no name needed, contacts the Enterprise, saying that the violent winking felt by the Enterprise was actually felt throughout the galaxy and beyond, though it was strongest on the planet the Enterprise is orbiting. The Enterprise crew needs to investigate whether it's a natural phenomenon or prelude to invasion, and they'll be doing that alone since Commodore No Name is ordering every other ship out of the sector. Mission laid out, Kirk sends Spock back to check out the planet while he goes to talk to the guy with the goatee. Lazarus is his name. He tells Kirk that he's pursuing a... thing. The devil's own spawn. Something that destroyed his entire civilization. He's death. Anti-life. Lives to destroy... Sounds like bad news. Kirk decides he and Lazarus will go planet-side to check out his story. There, they catch up with Spock, who says he's found nothing more. Also, he's heard this story about this thing that Lazarus says he's chasing, but he can find no evidence of it whatsoever, and so he deems Lazarus a liar. To his face. Suddenly, violent winking. Lazarus runs off, ranting about chasing and killing his enemy. Then he goes visibly negative, like looking through a film negative. And he fights... Something. Something human-looking, though still in negative land. Then he's back. Then he falls unconscious. Falling's kind of his thing. He comes to, saying he's seen his enemy again, and they have to kill it. Kill. 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 After these messages. Act 2. Lazarus is back in sickbay, this time with a bandage on a head wound. Spock can't say what's going on with all the violent winking. He's had a hard time believing that Lazarus' enemy is causing it, though the times do line up. Dr. McCoy, meanwhile, has a mystery of his own. Lazarus' head wound is totally gone. And so is Lazarus, but no one seems concerned about that right now. Lazarus, without the head wound, is hanging out in the break room. You know, just hanging until he hears Lieutenant Masters and her assistant talking about the re-amplified dilithium crystals. And out he goes after them. But, oh no! Violent winking! Negative land fighting! And after that, head wound Lazarus standing where non-head wound Lazarus had been. That's when Kirk and McCoy happen upon him. Bones is startled by the reappearance of the head wound, though Kirk is just annoyed, assuming that Bones was either mistaken or pulling his leg. Spock calls Kirk to the bridge, and Kirk takes Lazarus with him. On screen, a visible source of radiation on the planet. Visible, but undetectable by sensors. It doesn't exist, at least not normally. Though Spock says it may be a rip in space and time. He was able to spot it using the dilithium crystals. This is the first that non-head wound Lazarus has heard of those, and he needs them, he says, to get his enemy. 
Um, no, says Kirk, since he needs them for the Enterprise. Lazarus then makes some threats that he says are not threats and leaves the bridge under no guard. Violent winking, negative land fighting, non-head wound Lazarus emerges. He finds engineering and thus the dilithium crystals. He knocks out Masters and her assistant, though in a way that lets Kirk know that something is up. Uhura says security says Lazarus is missing, and we go to commercial. Act 3. Two of the dilithium crystals are missing, and Kirk is interrogating Lazarus, now with head wound. Lazarus says it wasn't him, but his enemy that stole them. He wants them for the same reason Lazarus does, to kill his enemy, which is him. Kirk has Spock organize a search party. They and he and Lazarus will check stuff out planetside. Again. Down below, they all fan out and search. Violent winking. Negative land fighting. Head wound Lazarus emerges and starts climbing down a high rock formation atop which he stands. His climbing dislodges a boulder that nearly kills Kirk. In fact, it would have killed him had Lazarus not warned him. Then, head wound Lazarus falls off the rocks. Falling is kind of his thing. He wakes up in sickbay. Again. Still ranting about the thing. Kirk thanks Lazarus for saving his life, but he has some questions. Turns out Lazarus was lying earlier. Maybe not about his enemy, but about where he was from. There's no there where he says there was. Never has been. Yes, I lied, but you wouldn't have believed me. Truth is, the planet below was my home. My enemy destroyed it. My ship is a time chamber. I'm a time traveler. So's my enemy. May I please have some dilithium crystals to deal with him? Bones demands that Kirk give the severely injured Lazarus time to rest, and could you please get your security guard out of here too? It's not like Lazarus is going anywhere. Except, of course, he does. Spock, meanwhile, is still puzzling over the radiation on the planet that you can see, but that you can't pick up on sensors. Their sensors, you see, are designed to find anything, anywhere, in the universe. But they can't find this. So it must be from outside their universe. A parallel universe, maybe. One that Kirk deems a negative to their own. A hole between the two might read as an invasion, as Starfleet had feared, since such a hole would not only let things out, but also let things in. Also, Lazarus seems like two men. One serene, one rambunctious, one with a head wound, one without. The Lazari may not have a purpose, but Spock fears their goals. He wants them contained, maybe even destroyed, because... These two crazy kids get together, this universe gets destroyed. Everything gets destroyed. Head wound, meanwhile, causes a malfunction in engineering that literally smokes Masters and her assistant out of engineering. He sneaks in, steals the crystals, knocks out the transporter dude, and beams himself down to the planet. Kirk is only a moment behind and orders Spock to gather some red shirts and follow as soon as he can. On the planet, head wound Lazarus is outfitting his time ship with the crystals. Kirk lunges at him and disappears. Act 4. Kirk has gone negative, ending up in the alternative universe. Or he's gone alternative, ending up in the negative universe. Either way, he gets to spend time with non-head wound Lazarus. He's a calmer fellow, and he walks Kirk through what's happening. Yes, this is a parallel universe, with antimatter instead of matter. Yes, if he and head wound got together any place but the anomaly that links the two universes, both universes would be destroyed. But he does have a plan. Kirk should go back to his positive universe, force head wound Lazarus into the hole. Non-head wound will be there too. Kirk should then completely destroy the time ship, trapping both Lazari in combat forever between the universes and thus saving both universes. Kirk does all of this and saves his dilithium crystals too. The end. Oh, I'm exhausted and I have a headache. Starbase 200. I know, right? Uh, 
it, it's an ironic name. Why it, is it's that? Like, it, it's Starbase 2, and they're like more like 200, you know. Well, it it's is, just to throw people off. It is weird that we had Starbase 11 and Starbase 12. I think those are the only two Starbases that we've had mentioned to this point. And I'm right. not 100% certain on that, but I'm fairly certain. We've actually made two visits to Starbase 11. And yep. now all of a sudden it's Starbase 200. Right. Yeah, it's kind right. of crazy. It's kind of crazy. Also, it's been very busy in the last few weeks. I don't know if Kirk remembers how um, hip and, dare I say, groovy uh, Spock got with poetry in Devil in the Dark. Who could forget? But you know, when he says – when Spock says that you know, the whole universe seemed to wink out, uh, Kirk says, I want analysis, not poetry. <laughs> What poem, you know, what time did Wee Willie Winky run through the town? I guess that, I mean, maybe that one, maybe that poem includes the word. No, it's just not even poetry. I don't get it. I don't get why he got so mad about that. Well, I get why he got so mad about it. Wink out is not a scientific term. No. But it's not a poetic term either. No. Yeah. It's none of the above. <laughs> right. Because, you know, speaking of science, I mean, I, first of all, I, I, we could have on every scientific guest star on on our podcast to try to make sense out of this, and it still wouldn't make sense. So I, I just think that I, I don't even want to try to justify any of the science that's happening here. Uh, but I will say that for anyone who sort of poo-poos any modern renditions of Star Trek for bad science, just start here. You know, you, you can go back and you look at the original series and – and uh, if you can make sense out of this, I'm sure it would involve, you know, flow charts and graphs and all. I go to it because uh, I'm, I'm lost. Well, the one thing that I will say is I, I'm a huge fan of alternative universe stuff, by the way. And, mm-hmm. and this will be something that we may want to revisit in, in, uh, in season two. Mm-hmm. Um, is it like a law that you have to have a goatee if you're from an alternate universe? Uh, yes, it is. <laughs> all right, just checking. Makes makes me wonder what I've been doing my whole life because I've I've had one for the past you know close to fifteen years maybe a little bit more. So I'm doing this show with the wrong Ken. I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm just saying I you know if that's the sign, I seem to be wearing it. Got it. But yeah. hey, you know th- this is kind of an early. Uh, piece of science fiction about a parallel universe, which I do you know, like. I, right. I mean, I love that. We didn't really get too much into it, but we did at least explore the idea, which is which is neat. I'm sorry. That's where I was going before I got sidetracked by my facial hair. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, yeah, I do love the fact that they're, that they're uh, you know, sort of presenting that idea here. Yeah. I, I don't know where the, the first time was in, in, say, modern science fiction that that, that concept was really explored. But um, you, you just think about TV, kind of mid-century TV, this is – the first example that I can think of. And um, it's, you know, it's cool that we're going there, although um, I'm sure glad we got out of there. (laughs) Um, And speaking of parallel universes, things that aren't quite the same as our own universe, talk to me about engineering. Yeah, what's up with that? We've been to engineering several times, including in um, an episode that we're going to revisit in a little bit um, that I can't think of the name of right this second. Yeah, totally spacing on it. Well, you could also tell me if you know it. The enemy, enemy within. within. Thank you very much. <laughs> We've been to engineering a few times. That's where uh, uh, Kirk fought Khan in engineering. Um, O'Reilly took over the entire starship 
by going to engineering. Um, Logie Kirk tracked down um, Alt Kirk and the enemy within uh, by by knowing engineering like the back of his hand. So we've been to engineering a few times. Mm-hmm. Um, Lazarus goes to engineering a few times in this episode, and they're not going to the same place. It's a much smaller room. It's just like a door in a corridor that's got like a nice, you know, like a 19, well, mid-1960s office sign, except it just says engineering. Right. And you go in, and I don't know if maybe, you know, real engineering was down for cleaning, or maybe Scotty had it tied up with some other project. But yeah, we're in we're in a much smaller place uh, this week when we go to engineering. Yeah. Well, I, I have a theory. Here. Okay. Um, because Scotty is nowhere to be seen in this episode. No, he's not. So, Neither is Sulu. So, Right, right, nor is Sulu. But I, I'm just going to assume that Scotty is away doing something. He's, he's got kind of a long leave. He's been saving up his vacation hours, whatever. And, and it's kind of like um, it's kind of like when you leave for college and then you come back after a few months, and then your parents have just thrown everything from the house into your now empty room. And I kind of feel that that's what happened with engineering here. Scotty was gone a little too long, and the rest of the departments kind of got together and they're like, "Look, we need the room. We're just going to." throw all this stuff so he in, so he uh, came back he came back from his first semester and engineering was a sewing room now mm-hmm. and, exactly and he was expected to sleep in the uh, or work in the guest room which has now been turned into engineering it's a really good thing that captain kirk is so good at his job because here we have um potentially catastrophe on a universal scale mm-hmm. and uh starfleet admiral no name just says uh, hey kirk you're on your own uh good luck <laughs> Um, well, I mean, they were the ones orbiting the planet where it happened. It's curious, though, how they could know that it was felt throughout the whole galaxy and beyond. Right. Yeah. I mean, well, remember, the, those sensors can sense anything, anywhere, at any time. In the universe. Except for the things that cannot be sensed. Right. In the whole universe. In the, the whole, whole universe. Yeah, yeah. Spock is actually you know, just stymied that... They can pick up anything in the whole universe, but they can't pick this up. I personally am stymied that they have a center that, you know, that was a really good salesman. Mm-hmm. You know? No, no, really. In the whole universe. Really in the whole u- Yes, really in the whole universe. So, for example, <laughs> right now it's sensing uh, car keys that somebody lost 400 <laughs> years ago. Wow. That is good. Now, now, can you show me where that is? Ah, you wouldn't understand. But buy three. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. So that's, I mean, that's, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of, well, I mean, I know it's kind of our job to nitpick, but if you want to nitpick, there's a lot of stuff in here that doesn't work. Let's talk about something that does. Good. Um, Lieutenant Masters. Yes. I will tell you that I like her for one reason specifically. Okay. Um, We've had a multi-ethnic thing going on Star Trek for quite a while now. We've got Uhura, we've got Sulu. Oh, not in this episode, but we have Sulu. Mm -hmm. Uh, Spock. Um... Back on Galileo 7, we had, we had Boma, mm-hmm. who was a neat, you know, strong African-American character. Um, generally speaking, and maybe this is Hollywood, maybe this is just easy casting, um, generally speaking, non-regulars tend to be white on Star yeah. Trek, and yeah. at least they have so far. Um, Lieutenant Masters is, uh, is African-American, or, well, she's black. I don't know what the proper term is would have been then. I don't know what it is today, honestly, but she's not white. Um, she is a woman. She's in science and mm-hmm. she has at least a tiny bit of command. I mean, she's got a nameless assistant uh, constantly in tow. Yeah. Um, 
And that's, you know, that's neat to see. I, I, you know, I bag on Star Trek quite a bit for not, not Star Trek specifically, but since we're doing a show specifically about Star Trek, I bag on Star Trek from time to time about sexism. And here we have something that's very much, you know, not sexist, not racist, not classist. It's just, you know, hey, here's the right person for the job. She happens to be a black woman and it's not a big deal. Oh, oh, dude, I'm sorry. Is it okay if I take the wind out of your sails just a little bit? Well, you can't because I know what I saw, but go ahead. Well, here's the thing. So um, I I agree with you. I like the character very much and uh, for all the reasons you stated above. But here's the thing. That first draft of that script, we pretty much have exactly the replay of the MacGyver's con relationship. Not not the abusive aspect of it, but it's that Masters pretty much drops everything that she's doing because (gasps) be still my heart. A real, honest-to-God, manly man stepped onto the Enterprise. So she is going to stop everything else that she's doing and go throw herself at Lazarus. Really? And Yeah, yeah. Because he's yeah. like eight kinds of crazy. Oh, it, easy. Uh, on a good day. <laughs> <laughs> on a good day. But um, So that, that little tinge is in there, but I, I'm glad that that whole kind of subplot got cut out anyway. Yeah, you see, that doesn't knock the wind out of my sails at all because it didn't happen. I mean, you know, that somebody, you know, first wrote that and then, you know, it ended up getting refined out. I mean, that's what first drafts are for, right? Yeah. Well, good. Refill those sails and sail on. Um, (laughs) Hey, by the way, that uh, that corridor, I just wanted to point out uh, the the magnetic antimatter warp corridor i'm just throwing words out because that's what they do in this show as well um between universes by the way it is literally a corridor (laughs) i mean we're talking about the the two guys fighting in negative and uh this is kind of a corridor Mm -hmm. it's like they could have been at a at a school or a library or a hospital just fighting in negative (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, you talked about the the Triffid Nebula earlier, and mm-hmm. I mean, we can talk about the fact that you know when they're on the planet and and it gets you know the violent winking starts. Um, there's wind and there's blurry shots and there's all this stuff. You know, how would you, without spelling it out, how would you sort of have those visual cues? Right? I mean, they they chose to walk a fine line here. Of we want to give some indication that something's happening, but we don't want to give the whole thing away right at the beginning. Because yeah. I mean, while I was referring to them in the recap as, you know, head wound Lazarus and not head wound Lazarus, it is not obvious when you're watching it that we're dealing with two different Lazari here. Yeah. It's kind of helpful when you have the script as, as we do that we can reference because it actually is Lazarus one, Lazarus two. Hmm. Look at it and go, Oh yeah, that's that guy. But yeah, it, it's, I, I think part of the problem is that it's very repetitive as well. It, it, it's a lousy effect, but it's very repetitive, and then you mix that with a lot of wind and blurriness. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there, there's just a lot kind of stacked against uh, this episode. Well, I mean, if we're going to be nice to it, uh, they gave themselves a tough job. Mm-hmm. And if we're going to be honest, they didn't necessarily execute as well as they might have wanted to. Yeah. I mean, it's not like the thing in 2001 where – you know, we're going into the monolith and everything looks weird and trippy. It's just more right. like, oh, I can see where you'd want that to look weird and trippy, but it just looks kind of weird. Right. Speaking of not executing well, um, Lazarus 
doesn't execute well the process of standing on things or climbing up things. Falling is kind of his thing. It is. I'm glad you pointed that out. <laughs> totally. It actually made me laugh the third time he fell. I was just like, well, right. really? It's like he's got one trick. Well, two. He can go between universes and he falls yeah. down a lot. <laughs> Apparently going between universes really messes with your equilibrium. Well, it takes a toll, you know. It does. Yeah. yeah. If you're, especially if you're, you know, eight shades of crazy Lazarus. Serene Lazarus, I don't think, fell down once. That's why no. head, that's how head wound Lazarus got his head wound. It wasn't, right. it wasn't in the fight. Yeah. It was in the falling and hitting rocks. Because right. if there's a place you want to fall, Vasquez rocks ain't it. Because no. you know what Vasquez has? Rocks. And lots oh, right. of them. Yeah. <laughs> You're not going to hit the dirt. You're going to hit the rocks. You know, I'm, yeah. just, I'm just thinking. I had a question for you about this episode. Is this the first time that we've seen dilithium crystals? I believe it is. We've talked about them a lot. Yeah, but uh, I don't think we've ever but, seen them. I, and yeah, we were actually, yeah. we were at a mining colony that mined lithium crystals. We didn't even see those. But, uh, mm. you know, we get to see the dilithium crystals this time. I, you know, I, I like them. They look like... Um, well, they look kind of like a cross between a frat house paddle and a dreidel. <laughs> right. But when yeah. they light up, it's, I mean, they're really pretty things. They really are. They're very nice. And, you know, how they actually power a ship, I don't know, but they are pretty. So it was kind of weird in that scene in Lazarus's time ship, interdimensional ship. By the way, he says, I'm a time traveler slash I'm an interdimensional traveler. We don't know. He, he's all of that. He's good yeah. like that. Um but yeah, in the ship where he's installed the uh, the dilithium crystal, it's kind of I think it's cut down. Like is a they've shaved it down, they've shaped it to fit the way they want, and that's how you get that paddle slash dreidel looking thing. Yeah. And when I first saw it, I was like, well, this is just like it's a little polished piece of wood or something. But then it lit up. Yeah. And it is cool. That's when it gets impressive. Yeah. Yeah. Now, it seems to me, correct me if I'm wrong, we've, we do have a math problem with the dilithium crystals. Oh, no. Well, we know. I mean, we do. Okay. Uh, um, serene, or non-head wound Lazarus, takes two, right? Mm-hmm. And then head wound Lazarus takes two. Mm-hmm. And then Spock go, oh, Spock, uh, Kirk goes down and talks to non-head wound Lazarus, and they devise the plan. And then Kirk goes back through to our universe and pushes head wound Lazarus into the portal. Right. And then he takes the two dilithium crystals on this side. We're down yes. two dilithium crystals. Right. Oh no. Well, I mean, it's yeah. fine, you know, yeah. cause, cause they get destroyed Yeah. when they destroy the ship from, from, you know, orbit. It's just, I mean, we can, we got a math problem there. I mean, we needed four, but now we only need two. Maybe you can double reamplify them. Right. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I don't know. Yes. That, that could be how it works. By the way, if you have a, a doorway to a transdimensional corridor, uh, do you want that in the entrance to your ship? Or do you want that actually in the ship itself? Well, the ship wasn't that big. It's a one-man ship. But here's the thing. It looks like every time you get in and out of the ship, you're going to walk right past that uh that transdimensional corridor door. Well, if it's charged or turned on. Yeah, that just seems like a bad location for it. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> like, I, I would want that in the corner somewhere where I don't accidentally stumble into it if it's on. Mm-hmm. 
If you've been injured in multiple slip and fall incidents, call the team at Lazarus and Lazarus. Believe me, they've got the experience to understand. You and I don't talk much about the show before we actually go to record the show. Hardly ever. Yeah, but occasionally we'll like say something to each other. You, for example, told me that I would have a new least favorite episode from the first season. <laughs> yeah. Now, it turns out you're wrong. I think oh, I, I still, yeah. and, I, and, I, and I will be honest with you, I was looking forward to letting Mary off the hook. Mm-hmm. I actually like this episode still more than Mary. Now, that oh. said, and I think I'm doing this out of order, but I will, I will say this episode did not need to happen, I don't think, because this episode has already happened. And I mentioned it earlier. It's the enemy within. This, it feels to me, is the enemy within again. Um, in that one, we had Alt-Kirk and Logie-Kirk kind of fighting for supremacy. Mm-hmm. In the end, it was decided that you couldn't have one without the other, uh, that the two together made the whole, okay? In the alternative factor, um, we make the man with the... Um, good me, bad me, or the alt me, logie me issue, uh, Lazarus, mm-hmm. presenting a problem uh, as old as man himself, which I think is, it could be why they have the Lazarus name, right? Because we've got the whole duality of man thing again. I mean, we've got the, you know, the good and evil or the, or the logie and the, and, the, and the alt. We've got, you know, this, 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 this battle for supremacy between these two, these two uh, parties, which, I mean, goes back to... I mean, you could you could say it goes back to Cain and Abel, and certainly goes back before that. Um, that's probably one of the earliest. Well, it's not even one of the earliest. What is it? It's the um, is it the Chinese creation myth that that mm. basically centers around the yin and yang. I mean, you've right. got them both. They both exist. I am whole except for one part that's missing. I am whole except for one part that's superfluous. Boom! The two of them get together, and the universe is formed. Right. So it feels to me like, okay, so there's something kind of cute there using the Lazarus name, although it's not automatically seen. I think you sort of have to think, okay, well, why would they call him Lazarus? Oh, because we're dealing with something that, you know, stretches back the ages. And, of course, Lazarus Lazarus being the oldest living person, according to the Bible, I think, like a thousand years. Oh, no, uh, I think that was Methuselah. Oh, it was Methuselah. You're right. Who was Lazarus? Lazarus was who Jesus brought back from the dead. Oh, well, never mind then. (laughs) Oh, wow. That's right. You're absolutely right. Hmm. So why the name Lazarus? What of Lazarus? Oh, don't even do that. We'll okay. do that at the end of the show. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, wait, wait, wait. Here's the thing, though. Wait, let me yeah. let me go ahead and wrap up really quickly on that. So, okay. uh, so we end up with these two guys: the peaceful, dare we say, Logie Lazarus, or the more rambunctious, dare we say, Alt Lazarus. Um, which one of these should survive? In the end, the answer is kind of neither or kind of both. I mean, one is not good and one is not evil, really, because to get rid of either one will destroy. Everything, just like if we had sided with Logie Kirk instead of Alt Kirk or Alt Kirk instead of Logie Kirk, we'd have ended up with no Kirk. Except this time we end up with no anything. We need both the more rambunctious, you know, less thoughtful, got to get everything side, that, that dark part of ourselves we don't necessarily like, and the more contemplative, you know, laid back, kind of cool Lazarus that we have too. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's kind of a universal truth. Uh, for the universe to continue, both sides, good and bad, have to exist on some level. But that was done much better in The Enemy Within. Well, well that's just it. I, I say, as, as I do so often on this show, Ken, I, I agree with you, but to an extent. 
Okay. Because here's the thing. It, it is done so much better in The Enemy Within. And I feel like, um, yeah, just an exploration of good side, bad side. Um, that's what I'm really digging about all that we have watched in Star Trek so far. Um, what we've seen so far is Star Trek not presenting uh, a, a world where they say everything is perfect or humanity is perfect. We're just saying that we deal with and, and embrace and use the good parts of our nature and the bad parts of our nature to hopefully do something better. Um, my problem with this and, and using the, the enemy within analogy here is that in this reality, in the reality of the alternative factor, these universes exist separately and they never, they never cross paths until you have this construct of the corridor and warp and magnetic and blah, blah, blah to bring those two sides together. So it's not a matter to me of Lazarus having a good side and a bad side. These are two sides that under any other circumstance would never come together. Whereas the fascinating thing to me about Kirk in The Enemy Within is that he's still the same guy in the same universe and those two parts need to be together for him to be a whole person. If the universe is working correctly, according to the alternative factor, these two Lazari never meet. So they never have the opportunity to fight each other or even determine if one is good or bad. You know what I'm saying? Well, I do see what you're saying, but I don't I don't understand why I don't understand <laughs> I don't understand why one completely unrealistic story about, you know, good side versus evil side <laughs> bothers you more than another completely unrealistic story about good side versus evil side. I mean, you're saying, well, yeah. because, you know, it's one guy, but he's split in two now, but he's in the same universe, then I'm cool with it. But you well, know, I, that, that's partly what I'm saying. Yes. <laughs> well, no, I understand that. I just can't figure <laughs> yeah. out why exactly. No. Now, that, that is partly what I'm saying, because it is done more effectively in The Enemy Within. Oh, it's but, done much more effectively in yeah, The Enemy yeah. Within. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I'm but not what saying, I'm saying this is well, better. I, I will say this is better than Miri. Ah, uh, see, I disagree. <laughs> I disagree so much. Oh, I gosh. wanted to disagree, too. I wanted to not yeah. take that stance. I wanted to let Miri off the hook. Yeah. It just couldn't happen yet. Miri, you are officially off the hook. Not No, 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 no. Anyway, though. Right. But, but, but what I'm saying is that, to me anyway, we're, we're starting with we're starting with two Lazari Lazaruses mm -hmm. uh, from two separate universes. Who, like I said, under under no normal circumstances would ever be aware of the other's existence. Right. And the thing that drives evil Lazarus to be evil Lazarus is just the knowledge of the existence right. of another Lazarus. Let us back up one second. First of all, I don't think we can call him evil Lazarus. This no, is sort of the he, same. This is the same thing that we did in the and uh, again in the Enemy Within. In yeah. fact. In fact, the more rambunctious Lazarus, and that's the most I'll give him here, the most mm -hmm. rambunctious Lazarus is not evil. He, he saves Kirk's life. Yeah. And, and it's not like he wanted to kill Kirk, but he actually says that. Kirk says um, when he's in sickbay, you know, after Lazarus has fallen down for like the ninth time, <laughs> right. he says to him, you know, I want to thank you for saving my life. And, and Alt-Lazarus or rambunctious Lazarus says, why wouldn't I? Well, like, mm -hmm. it, there's no reason that he wouldn't. I mean, because he's not evil. Yeah. He is, however, uh, driven by this other, you know, him. He, he's mad. Yes. You mean yeah. angry? Yes. Well, uh, uh, and, yeah. <laughs> and a little 
off center. Uh, well, uh, sure. Although, I mean, how would you react? Let's say, let's say you could prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that there's another you somewhere. <laughs> would it make you mental? Uh, um, I, I, I would avoid that person at parties. <laughs> I, would, uh, I would try not to book the same flight mm-hmm. with that person. Sure. Um, I don't know that I would go totally crazy. I probably would be friends with that person on Facebook, but I wouldn't really check in on his profile that often. Really? Yeah. See, because I'll bet you would totally check to make sure he's not going to better parties than you are. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, okay. That that would make me a little... No, I, I would have to block that. Right? I would have to hide that person. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, you don't want to upset yourself by, you know, completely disregarding the friend request. No, you, you would have to accept the friend request, but you would have to, like, let them go. What, what about you, Ken? What, what, uh... Dude, I don't even like other people named Ken, okay? <laughs> it is something, honestly, that I have to get over. It's, it's, and it's weird. <laughs> and I've had friends who are named Ken, but it took me a while because, you know, my name's Ken. <laughs> and yeah. yours, you know, shouldn't be as far as I'm concerned. So if there's a whole other me, I don't know. I mean, it might be kind of fun. It, it depends. It depends on what kind of mood I'm in. I've often wondered about that, though. I think it has a lot to do with personality type, right? It's yeah. weird to think that th- there, are, there are a number of things. Like, like you called him Evil Lazarus earlier, and I know we've stepped back from that now. It, I, it, it's shorthand. Uh, well, episode, okay, but, yeah. but, but there is a problem, though. This is like the whole thing when we talk about um, carbon chauvinism as well. There's, a, there's, there's, there's an assumption that, that our universe is the right universe. I was thinking about uh, Tomorrow is Yesterday as well. Mm-hmm. The assumption was, well, we have to put everything back to rights. Otherwise, uh, things don't go right because we know how things go. Well, no, you knew how things went. <laughs> you don't necessarily know how things go at this point. So when they're discussing the possibility of an alternate universe, they can't even stick with calling it an alternate or parallel universe. Kirk immediately has to go into, so there's their negative universe and our positive universe. Really? Right. Well, let's talk to the other Kirk that's in the other Enterprise in the other universe and ask him which one is the negative universe or the positive universe. Now, maybe yeah. it's just about maybe it's just about keeping your uh, you know your audience with some kind of understanding because um, Serene Lazarus, non-head wound Lazarus, had no problem saying no, no, no. What we have here is antimatter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Really? Because I would think that they would call that matter in his or- universe. <laughs> Exactly. And that, you know, he would call what we have in our universe antimatter. And then we could fight about that instead of, you know, whether or not those two crazy kids should get together. Well, the whole decision that Kirk makes is just based on smooth talking, non head wound Lazarus. And it's a good thing that he was right. You know, I, I mean, it, like you said, it could have just been, oh, I was talking to the wrong guy. Yeah. So it's a good thing that plan worked out. <laughs> you know, yeah, um, because they really didn't have much to go on otherwise. And, and by the way, if if positive Kirk, our Kirk, and in, in our universe of this show, mm-hmm. uh, just shows up in the antimatter universe, doesn't any uh, uh, congregation of matter and antimatter just sort of start to wipe itself out? Because um, Lazarus and Alt Lazarus keep kind of bumping into each other and they're actually fighting in this corridor. But I guess that's sort of a safe zone where they do that. <laughs> that is a safe zone where they can do that, right. That, that exists outside of any other universe. Here's the question I thought you were going to ask. Mm-hmm. When Kirk goes to the other universe, does Kirk with a goatee just stumble out? 
He might. Onto the unnamed planet for just a few minutes with everybody kind of standing around awkwardly going, I, yeah, you're not supposed to be here for a little while. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think so. Here's the thing. So uh, Lazarus, to use the terms good or evil, good or bad, whatever, it is just purely a point of view. And um, that's what Lazarus actually says. Non-headwound Lazarus says that to Kirk. Mm-hmm. Well, it just depends on the point of view that you have. Um, I, yes, I, I agree. But headwound Lazarus is totally fine with the idea of destroying the universe. That, that seems a little less than a point of view and uh, more self-destructive. Um, in fact, He's going to destroy everything. Well, he is. So that seems like a pretty easy choice. You just have to assume that your choice is right. Well, he may not. He, well, yeah, that's an interesting thing because you just said, well, he was talking to uh, Smooth Talking uh, Lazarus, and that's why you went ahead with that. Maybe other Lazarus has this other idea that it's not going to destroy the galaxy or the universe for that matter. Now, right, Spock yeah. has already indicated to us that he thinks that that's what would happen too. So we are actually sort of given to understand that what smooth talking Lazarus is saying is probably right because Spock's already been afraid that that was going to happen. In fact, Spock, who every now and then we think is not cool killing people, even though, you know, secretly he really has no problem killing people. He says, uh, you know, they should either contain or possibly destroy both of the Lazari. Now, I find it interesting that he thought that that would work. Yeah, right. Because, you again, you've got the problem of if you kill one, does the other one automatically die? Or do you have to make sure that you kill them both precisely at the same time? And is that not going to fold the universe in on itself as well? No, you're right. Best to leave them out of any universe from now on. Well, and leave them out of any universe, but leave them in this corridor where they will fight for eternity. Yeah, what's up e- with that? Well, I don't buy it. <laughs> you, I, I, I don't. You would think at some point they might just go, yeah, you know what? <laughs> yeah, come on, time out, time out, <laughs> you know? Why are we fighting? When I was a boy, I had a ball. Oh, wow, I, when I was a boy, I had a ball. Hey, yeah. let's have a ball, you know? And then <laughs> they could not fight anymore. They could just, yeah. uh, they could be friends. Yeah. Uh, and and why, why eternity? I mean, they, these both are beings uh, with, with physical bodies. Now, granted, uh, it, it's sure the rules of the corridor are a little bit different, but they just sort of assume that it's eternity. Right. Like, oh, yeah. Anything goes on there is eternity. So, uh, well, okay. So say you. <laughs> but we have nothing to base that on. It doesn't um, really matter. I mean, once they wink out, they wink out. So it, yeah. really, it really, you know, to us, it does not matter anymore. And you can sit there and you can say, as if it's profound, what of Lazarus? See, I, exactly. But and it I'm doesn't glad really that you matter. say that it doesn't matter, because to me it doesn't matter. Well, it matters to Lazarus and Lazarus, but you know. Yeah, but it's Lazarus or Lazarus versus the entire universe, if yeah. we buy the premise of this show. To me, that that seems like a pretty easy sacrifice to understand. Lazarus may fall down a lot, and let's be clear. He does. Can he hold up the alternative factor? I can't decide if you uh, take glee (laughs) (laughs) in answering the questions this week. I know we were sort of sad when we got to answer the questions about Miri, 
And yet I, I sort of feel like you, you almost, you, you almost feel like this episode has it coming. Yeah. Um, we ask questions every week, messages, morals, meaning, you know, does the episode stand the test of time, all that stuff. Um, and, and we're just going to let John go. John, does this episode stand up? Does it hold up as far as you're concerned from a production standpoint? Ken, <laughs> uh, <laughs> let me, okay. All right. Production standpoint. All right. Let's look at the production here. Um, We've seen some interesting, uh, some effective, some not very effective uh, uh, production choices on Star Trek. Uh, let's look at the Horda. Uh, the yeah. Horda is, you know, maybe a not too great looking effect by today's standards, but stuck into a really great episode full of um, full of, of great ideas to ponder and uh, a truly humanistic message at the core. So you can forgive a lot of that. Um, but I tell you what I can't forgive in the alternative factor, aside from the blurry shots and the, uh, the wind, there's a lot of wind on Lazarus's planet and the fighting in a corridor, which again is literally a corridor. Mm-hmm. Um, what I can't forgive is maybe one of the worst lines of dialogue yet in Star Trek. And I quote, I call it an alternative warp. Sort of a negative magnetic corridor where the two parallel universes meet. Sort of a safety valve that keeps eternity from blowing up. <laughs> okay, I'm here to tell you that not even a Baramork could save that crap. Ah, dude. All right, so your answer is maybe? <laughs> um, you know what I'm going to do after we're done with the show today? I'm going to go watch Miri and I'm going to love every minute of it. All right, all right, that's fine. Understand, but, but, as far as I'm concerned, this episode yeah. only holds up in comparison to Mary. This episode mm-hmm. does not work. And there is a lot here that I would love to see work in this episode, but it just doesn't work. It doesn't work. We recap the story. Well, let's see. There are four acts, and it feels like we recap the story like six times. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, at least twice I know Kirk says, all right, let's go over it again. Yeah, it like, And I don't know if it's because there was concern that there would be confusion because we're going back and forth and it's the same guy, but it's, it's a different guy, but we don't want to reveal that yet, but we have to make sure that people are coming along, or if it was just padding. I mean, this 48 minutes feels like 67 yeah. easily, and, and that makes me sad because, honestly, I know you're bagging on the actor who is not John Drew Barrymore, but I didn't think he was terrible. I mean, we've seen some overacting on Star Trek, and this is certainly some overacting. I mean, he was a fairly magnetic dude. Yeah. I was kind of okay with him. Um, I really well, I, I, I really do think they were trying something, too, with the visual cues. It just, it just sadly, it just and, did not work. And I don't think that Robert Brown is terrible as an actor, and I, I didn't mention his name earlier, uh, that, uh, my, my bad, but yeah, he's not a bad actor. That That's yeah. not totally the problem here. The problem is that, uh, you know... A show lives or dies because of the script, mm-hmm. first and foremost. Yeah. And, and the script here is a colossal mess. You start out with an interesting idea. Okay, parallel universe. What can we do with that? Yeah. And it just unravels from there. Yeah. No, you're not wrong. I mean, this it, it doesn't work. It, it just doesn't work. I mean, and even if you take the whole, well, we're doing the same message again. You know, if you need one, I mean, the yin-yang message, the the good-bad message, which I know you have a hard time getting to in this episode. Mm -hmm. Even if the message holds up, and I guess you could, I mean, if we said that it holds up in um, Enemy Within, 
mm-hmm. then you have to assume that it holds up here as well. Uh, that's just not enough to deliver it. Yeah, I, I don't. Um, we're kind of condensing those questions here. What, what's the message, and does it hold up? And I, I am having a harder time getting to that uh, message here that I did with the enemy within. Um, well, it's so, not as it's not as obvious in this episode as it is in the enemy within. I mean, understand we're talking about two things that have to fight each other forever. Yin and Yang don't actually fight each other forever; they sort of coexist. Right. And the enemy within, Logie Kirk literally hugged Alt Kirk. I yeah. mean, you definitely have them embracing. I mean, this right. is a, this is a different thing. You have them battling, but this is. I mean, you could almost tie this in a tiny bit if you wanted to to a taste of Armageddon, where mm. where they're you know they're saying that they have this this horrible thing about themselves that they hate. They have this horrible thing about themselves that they hate. They hate the fact that they're killers. So what they're going to do is instead just go calmly into killing themselves because if they don't do that. Then they end up becoming these bloodthirsty, you know, ravaging, horrible things that make war on their neighbors. And, and, mm-hmm. and so instead, what Kirk says they have to do is fight that. And they only have to decide that they're going to fight it for today. And then, you right. know, tomorrow is today. And then they have to decide that again. So, I mean, the idea of the constant battle between good and evil, between parts of yourself that you like and parts of yourself that you don't like. I mean, that feels to me like it's happening here. It's a lot more subtle, I well, mean, I, I, I would take subtle a step further, and I would say that to me it feels very inconsequential, you know, because, it, again, that, that's something happening elsewhere in this corridor that has now no bearing on our universe or the other universe. Well, um, except it's what makes the universe go. Well, the, the core doesn't, doesn't make the universe go. The corridor is just a, a convenient way to get from one to the other, but we've already destroyed the entry point to get from one to the other. No, but so. the, the, the fact of the existence of both of these things is what makes the universe go. If you take one of these things out, the mm-hmm. whole universe gets destroyed. So what makes the whole universe go is the constant back and forth between the more rational and the more sanguine. Right. Except you're not there. I don't buy it. You would actually rather watch <laughs> Miri again than watch this. Here's the thing, Ken. I, I will help. Um, I, I think I know where we're going with this. And uh, I, I will help crystallize the thoughts on this episode. Um, quoting uh, the great song lyrics of uh, the Facts of Life theme song. Uh, you take the good. You take the bad. Take them both. There you have facts of life. I have no idea what you're doing now. I'm, uh, I'm just trying to uh, do like Spock does and add a little poetry to it. <laughs> really? <laughs> but what really. of different strokes? <laughs> what what of, of different strokes? Different strokes. Yeah. All right. So here's my question. Um, did you people theoretically still listening at this point uh, feel the same way that we did about the alternative factor either one of us because you know we're doing that Siskel and Ebert thing where you know well no we're not really because we both agree the episode doesn't work it's just you you really (laughs) think the episode doesn't work we're curious what you think about the episode so please do us a favor reach out and touch us nothing kinky well maybe a little kinky Facebook, Skype, and Twitter at the handle Mission Log Pod or of course you can call us 323 Five two two five six four one, and now a bit less staccato. Three two three five two two five six four one. You can email us missionlog at roddenberry dot com, and don't forget to check out our web page missionlogpodcast dot com. Remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. 
Speaking of upcoming episodes, Ken, next week is such sweet relief. It is redemption for doing the alternative factor. I cannot wait. The classic City on the Edge of Forever. Some of the music for the mission log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. It looks like we've survived another episode, but what of next week? What of next week? and transmission. Now leaving Nerdist.com.